Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We are also joined today by Jake Meisner, our great editor-in-chief. We are always happy to have him on the show. And a very big congrats to him for making the Fan Sided Hall of Fame. So huge congrats to you, Jake. Uh, big applause. Take a minute. Good job. Yeah. You oh, and Nick. Crap. Oh, you're yeah, lame. Man, after, you are lame. <laughs> I do yeah, know that. After, uh, yeah, that's why we love him, Alex. If, if he wasn't like this, we wouldn't let him stay around. That's true. That's true. Well, big congrats to you and Nick. And uh, tell me, you kind of posted some stats that you two had over the years. How many articles did you guys publish collectively? Between the two of us, we're over 3,500 now, and we've probably edited six or 7,000. Um, and that's just with Cubby's crib. I've also, um, in kind of interim roles, taken over five other fan-sided sites, and he worked at a couple other ones too. So but we we don't know what the number is anymore, except I can tell you that it is that my relationship with Cubby's crib has spanned two ex-girlfriends, and now I've been married for almost three years, um, and Cubby's crib has been there uh, through it all. That's really awesome. Congrats to you and Nicholas. You guys are really, really awesome, and we love uh, writing under you guys, and you guys are always yeah. there to support us and give us ideas. We're really appreciative of it. it yeah, it's. Uh, I've written for some other fan-sided sites, too, as, as well as the house one, and I, I have to say that, that nothing compares to the Cubby's Crib experience. Just the the environment that, that we have uh, in our group is, is something that, is I think pretty unique. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I think that that uh, you, Jake, and and Nick deserve almost all of the credit for that for for creating an environment like that for us. Well, thank you guys. I know it's something that Nick and I both take a lot of pride in. And after the the last eight months, Nick has had and still has going through his his battle. I know it meant a lot to him and. Uh, as happy as I am for myself, I'm ten times happier for him and what I'm sure it means to him. And now we can hopefully all turn our focus toward a new season and putting Yadier Molina and the Cardinals in their place and Christian Yelich and the Brewers in their place and just have a nice 2019. Absolutely. I mean, winning definitely makes riding a lot more fun, especially these past few years. You know, I'm sure the experience was different when – the team was either rebuilding or just not good compared to contending every year. Well, I can tell you, I looked up yesterday the first article I ever wrote, and it was about a start that Brooks Raley made for the Iowa Cubs. Oh, man, and that's a name. Yeah, yeah, that is a name. Um, it's pretty cool, though, because I basically joined the crib right around when, when Theo came to town. So I've been mm-hmm. covering them the whole duration of the tear down, the rebuild, the championship, the aftermath of the championship, and how expectations have changed. It, it's been honestly, I, I wouldn't say it's better covering a winner. It's different because back then, 
the Cubs win, you know, 75 games or if flirting with 500, everyone's – it's a raucous place. It's great. What more could you ask for? Now you win 95 games, and it's considered a failure of a season. I feel like fans in general are harder to keep happy now. They're kind of greedy. And, you know, I don't know. Somehow I still look at the Cubs the same way I did when they were bad. I We are incredibly lucky to cover a team and root for a team that annually the last four seasons have been in it right till the very end. They've won a championship. They've made the playoff for four straight years. Personally, I was disappointed. I was at the wild card game. It sucked to see, especially to the Colorado Rockies. But you know what? I never thought ever that I would cover a team going to the playoffs for four straight years. Yeah, it was kind of a, a dream we had many years ago, and, and here it is. And like you said, the, the expectations have been so altered that 95 wins is a failure because nothing went beyond that. I mean, go before 2014, if one of those Cub teams won 95 games, we'd be having Chicago Tribune publications and commemorative you know, sorts of banner-type things. You, you know, when you saw, like, the 08 Cubs win 97 games, I think there was a book on that season. There were books on the 03 season, even though they fell apart in the playoffs. Now, 95-win team, no one wants to think about that season again because they didn't go anywhere. It, it really is crazy. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what to tell those people who, who are upset by it. I get it. I would love to win the World Series every single season, but it just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's illogical to assume your team even hasn't doing it. I'm really interested to see if the Red Sox can pull it off, but I think they're going to have an issue similar to the Cubs in the bullpen. They've done nothing but subtract from their pen. I mean, J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts can rake all season long, but – at the end of the day, you got to have guys at the back end to, to nail things down. But, you know, teams don't win like the 90s Yankees, early 2000 Yankees. Like, it doesn't happen anymore. It, it just doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's hard to uh, sustain success when you have a lot of other teams around you. And, you know, frankly, bullpens are pretty fickle, and you need to keep restocking them. And when you don't, that's when things can really change. And you look at the Red Sox last year. They were so unbelievably flawless. As good as they are going into this season still, you're not going to repeat that same flawlessness two years in a row. It's just – it doesn't happen that way anymore, like you said. Yeah, I mean, 108 wins. Think about it. That's five more wins than the Cubs had in 16. And in 16, apart from that 10-week, two-day stretch in the middle of the season where everyone thought the world was going to end because the Cubs all started <laughs> quit dominating – like, you know, the Cubs, in my mind, that's the best start-to-finish season I have ever seen a Cubs team put together. Oh, yeah. And Boston still won five more games than that. So, you know, my hat's off to them. It was a tremendous season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. The Yankees are, you know, the Yankees. You can't sleep on them. You can't sleep on really most of that division. Tampa Bay quietly won 90-plus games. Which the is Orioles crazy. Are, the Orioles are hot and trash, but that's nothing new. Yeah, and it's going to be that way for a while there. But, you know, we're talking about bullpens, and that's kind of the news we wanted to discuss on this podcast this week. The Cubs have, you know, been not doing much, to say the least, front office-wise this offseason. Obviously, the conversations have been going on and on about the budget, 
and what they're going to do in the end. Are they going to do anything? Who are they going to sign? Any free agents? Not much has happened, but the Cubs did make a few moves within the last few weeks that at least can help create some depth on this team. The biggest one by far was signing reliever Brad Brack. He is a one-time All-Star. He's been in the league for eight years. And last year, you look at the numbers, the splits between Baltimore and Atlanta are pretty dramatic. He wasn't doing so good in Baltimore, but in Atlanta, he had a 152 ERA, a 312 FIP, a whip of 1.3. Career-wise, he has a 308 ERA, a 368 FIP, and a 1.3 whip. He's a pretty solid reliever, and he's been in a closer spot before. He had 18 saves in uh, 2017. So you got to think this guy could be flexed around a bit in the bullpen in the back end, especially when Brandon Morrow is going to be hurt. Uh, Adam, what did you think of this signing? Well, it's, a, it's a great signing. Uh, it's not the, the big fish that Cubs fans wanted, but to be honest, the bullpen is the, the biggest area of concern for this team, and I think Brad Brock is a fine addition to the bullpen. Like you said, uh, some injury concerns in the past – uh, wasn't terrific for the first half of the season in Baltimore, but like you said, he was really good uh, with Atlanta, 23 and two-thirds innings pitched in a 1.52 ERA. Uh, so I think Brad Brock was a, a very good signing. Uh, it's a cheap deal. Uh, it's exactly what they were looking for. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he has in that bullpen, if they use him as kind of a setup man, or maybe they'll even give him a crack at closer. But uh Whatever whatever ends up being the case, I think I think this is a, a really good kind of under-the-radar signing for the Cubs. Do you think that this guy could be the potential closer while Brandon Morrow was hurt? Because I think that may be one of the reasons that they got him. Just, I mean, he's, he's a good reliever overall. Even if Morrow wasn't hurt, he would have been a good target. But do you think the Morrow injury is kind of linked to this signing? Okay, I do because I think that it shortens the pen, kind of the same concept that Last season, the pen got shortened because Mike Montgomery had to fill in for you, Darvish. I think where this guy becomes key, I think Pedro Strope is the closer. And I think I he's the closer out of spring training. And I think he's the closer even when Brandon Morrow comes back. I think he has definitely earned that right. He has been nothing but outstanding as a Cub. He stepped in and handled the closer duties perfectly. Late last year when Morrow went down, I think then that allows Joe Madden to more effectively manage Morrow's workload. You split it with Carl Edwards, Brock, uh, Steve Ciszek, and hopefully keep Morrow relatively fresh down down the stretch. And I think that it gives some degree of stability. I would trust handing the ball to Pedro Strope three straight days long before I would with Brandon Morrow. So I think that would solidify things. And with Brock, something that I personally found interesting, I have a really good friend who is a diehard Orioles fan. He's from Baltimore, and he and I were talking about this last week. He straight up walked up to me as soon as the news broke about the signing and said, that's a steal. You guys are going to get a great arm. And he he pointed to what Brock did in Atlanta and said, you know why he did that, right? Because the Orioles didn't believe in analytics. They did not equip their pitchers to succeed. And you have seen countless arms go to other organizations and blow the lid off the place simply because they're equipped with the, the numbers and the knowledge that every other big league team gives their guys. And we know how forward-thinking 
and innovative Theo and Jed and this organization are. So I think Brock's going to be great. I really have no qualms. And these buy low, you know, no no risk, high reward signings, these are the moves that Theo has nailed. Absolutely. You look at all those moves that he's made for, like, bullpen arms that aren't really big, not really a big trade outside of Roldis Chapman or Wade Davis. The Solaire Davis trade was pretty significant. But, you know, outside that, you've seen a lot of waiver claims, low-risk, high-reward signings, minor league deals, and a lot of them have worked out. So I think this really is probably the best move of the offseason. That's not saying much because there hasn't been much done. But in terms of what the impact could be, I think this is really important. And it's interesting that you guys brought up the Pedro Strope stuff because he's not traditionally a closer. Now, last year he showed he could be. And a lot of people are kind of weary about him closing, but you'll look back at what he did. He got the job done overall when he had to fill in for Brandon Morrow. And would you rather rely on someone who's durable or rely on someone who's questionable in terms of health? Because if Brandon Morrow comes back, he could be struggling with his arm again. He could maybe be limited to, like, a few winnings per week. You know, he had limits last year, and Joe may have not have respected those limits, but that's another whole conversation. But if you want somebody durable, then, yeah, Pedro Stroke can give you that. So could Brock. What's really funny about Brock was a few months before, let's say in October, we all had our sights on Bryce Harper, and I had visions of – Cubs Twitter going crazy over Bryce Harper and celebrating the big Bryce Harper move. Little did I know that the huge move that everyone would be going crazy for first would be a reliever. But, hey, I think we were just desperate for a move and a move that was frankly needed that we got it. I think I think that Cubs fans would be more excited about Brad Brock uh, had he not been slightly overshadowed by Zach Britton in Baltimore. Because I think that that Brad Brock, maybe this will sound crazy, maybe people will agree. I Honestly, I feel more comfortable with Brad Brock right now than I would with Zach Britton. Just based on the peripherals and the kind of injury history that each of them has had, I, I definitely feel more comfortable with Brad Brock. And I think that had he not had to pitch with Zach Britton, especially in that 2016 season where he was just insane, uh, I, I think he would be held uh, in a higher regard uh, by by most baseball fans. That's an interesting point because you do look back at the numbers and they are very good. And the thing with Zach Britton is he's been good over the years, but we're starting to kind of see a decline. Because, you know, those big relievers, they don't always have a long shelf life. A lot of them don't. We just saw Mariano Rivera go in as a unanimous Hall of Famer. He is one of the very few relievers to stay dominant over a decade. Moving forward with that, we also have a few other moves to discuss. Now, this was a smaller move. This was a minor league deal. George Contos, the former San Francisco Giant and Pittsburgh Pirate and Cleveland Indian and New York Yankee, this guy has a pretty nice resume overall. If you look at the numbers in 357 innings, a 310 ERA, a 382 FIP, and a 1.2 whip. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Now, he's had some issues with velocity. His velocity decreased last year. You saw the numbers really go down. 
he was with several organizations last year. He was with the Pirates. He was with the Indians. He was with the Yankees. He was going up and down between AAA and the majors. But you look at the overall numbers on his career, and you say, you know, if he can get his velocity back, which is apparently what he's been working on, he may be another low-risk, high-reward move that works. And if it doesn't, nothing was lost. So I think this has potential to at least be a nice little depth move. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, Contos uh, is the kind of signing that really is, has been sort of the staple of the Theo Epstein era in Chicago, getting these guys who mm-hmm. who were once very good pitchers uh, and then sort of fell off a little bit due to injury or anything else like that, and then making a kind of a reclamation pro- project out of them. And like you said, George Contos is a low-risk, high-reward kind of guy. Um, and the Cubs pitching coaches seem to do a really good job of, of coaching these guys to their strengths rather than trying to get something unrealistic out of them. So, I mean, this, this could really work out. George Contos could end up being a big part of the pen. And if he's not, then it's really not a huge deal. They, they really aren't losing anything out of this. They they only have something to gain. So it, this was a, a smart move, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it any better than, than Adam did. You have nothing to lose with the George Contos and the Junichi Tazawas of the world. I mean, if they're great, awesome. If they're not, great. Go sit in Iowa. Like, it doesn't matter. Um and honestly, I feel better about guys like Carl Edwards knowing that we have other options, veteran arms that can step in and eat innings if guys like Carl fall off a cliff like he did late last season. You know, I feel better about watching some of our young guys develop. I'm hoping this is the year that you see an Advert Alzale, uh, you know, someone like that step up and, and pitch meaningful innings, but to me, there's not as much pressure on those guys, knowing we've got Kantos, Tazawa, Brock. I mean, you've got all these veteran options that you've signed for pretty much next to nothing that can, in theory, step up and, and, and give you something next year. Yeah, exactly. And you look at George Kantos's, you know, you look further into the stats, you'll see that he's a guy that doesn't always strike out a lot of people. His career is 7.3 strikeouts per nine innings. He did recently have a 2017 season where he struck out 9.5. That was a career high. Early on in his career, he had another season which he struck out 9.1, but it's a lot of 7.6, 7.5, only 5.4 in 2015. But he's the kind of guy that can really benefit from a good defense around him, and that's what the Cubs have. So I think this could potentially be a fit. And again, if it's not, nothing lost, no big deal. And he was automatically invited to Major League Camp, so he's going to get a chance to prove himself. And, Jake, you brought up C.J. Edwards and a few of the other veterans we've talked about. You can never have enough depth in a bullpen. We've seen that. Depth is incredibly important. So stack up what you can. Get as many guys as you can, either on the 40-man roster or – an invite to camp, you know, minor league deal, kind of like this. Get as many options as you can, and then you can kind of work them out. You have some young arms in the system, but Dylan Maples, the big one, you ask yourself, is he ever going to take that next step into the majors? Is Alec Mills going to be an option? You don't know with some of these young guys, but you have other guys that while they may be 
low risk in the sense of we don't know what they're going to give us. At least these are veteran guys that have good resumes. So stack up on that. I think that's really, really important. I've got a a question, and I didn't pitch this to you guys beforehand, but I I saw something online, and I thought it would be an interesting point to discuss. Given that the Cubs, by the – Given by their inherent payroll restrictions this winter, we've pivoted to guys like Brock and Tazawa and Contos and all these, you know, low-level guys or, you know, guys on minor league deals. Wade Miley signed with Houston today for $4.5 million. Looking back at the Cubs' decision to pick up Cole Hamill's $20 million option for this year, at the end of 2019, will they regret that decision? Boy, that one's kind of hard to answer because I, I already am not a huge fan of signing Cole Hamels to the $20 million deal. I mean, don't get me wrong, I wanted him back, but not necessarily for $20 million. Uh, having said that, though, I think I actually do feel better about Cole Hamels than I would Wade Miley. I mean, Wade Miley had kind of a career year last year. I mean, you, he's been in the league a long time, eight years, and you look back at his career – He's pretty much like a four-and-a-half ERA pitcher his entire yep. career. And so I, I don't think that it's necessarily safe to assume uh, that he's going to be the kind of pitcher he was in 2018 from here on out. And I, I, I think that at his worst, Cole Hamels can do pretty much the same thing Wade Miley is going to do. And I think that the upside with Cole Hamels, even though he's really getting up there in age, is still, is still much higher than Wade Miley. And and I think that just a change of scenery can make a big deal. Uh, I know he wasn't as dominant towards the end of the season as he was when he first arrived in Chicago, but you could see that that being on a contender maybe kind of lit a spark in Cole Hamels. And I think that just just being on a winning ball club can make a difference for a guy. I mean, it's as much as you as much as you say that you give it your all every day, you can't deny that it would be hard to find. Uh, the same kind of motivation when you know that you're you're just on a team that's toiling, you're you're on a cellar dweller team, and and so for Cole Hamels to be on a team where he knows that that they have a good shot to to make it to the World Series, I think that makes a difference. I think that changes things, and so I'm optimistic about what Cole Hamels can do this season, but I still think that. Uh, I think they could have gotten him cheaper than they did. It seemed like he wanted to stay with Chicago, so I think that even if they would have turned down that $20 million option, they could have worked out some sort of short-term deal. Totally agree with everything you said. I, I personally thought they were going to decline the option and sign him for maybe two years and $20 million. I felt that was more reasonable than one year at 20, given he's 35 years old. But I guess at the end of the day, what it will come down to is, you know, say – Miley does what he's done in his career, throws up a 425, 430 ERA, takes the ball every five days, kind of keeps you in ball games. I mean, with the Cubs offense, you hope they put up enough runs to get him some wins and get the team wins on days he starts. But is is the $16 million that you would have had to play with on uh, maybe on, you know, some more impactful relievers, or, you know, a veteran presence in the outfield if you felt that was necessary. You know, at the end of the year, I think that'll be a question we look at. If if the payroll limitations are as strict as we have been led to believe they are, $16 million is a lot of money. And you have to wonder with how the free agent market's playing out, 
in the next two weeks, how many guys are going to sign for under market value that we could have gone after with $16 million? I think you guys both said what I was thinking overall. Look, if you would have just presented me with Cole Hamels versus Wade Miley, look, I'm taking Cole Hamels in a heartbeat. There's no question I'd rather have Cole Hamels on the team than Wade Miley. But, yeah, I thought that they would do some sort of restructuring because picking up the option, everybody knew what it was going to be. It was going to be $20 million. It was a ridiculous amount of money for an option, frankly. I thought they were going to try to work something out because you look at his age. He's 34. You would think that Theo would be pretty confident in having enough to go maybe two three seasons more being effective because I think he's got plenty of gas in the tank. I really do. But that didn't happen. Could we be regretting it? Maybe we will. But I want to see how everything plays out first. If the budget is as tight as it is, that extra money could have certainly gone to other things. Do I think it's the difference between Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and Cole Hamels on this deal? No. I don't think that giving this deal to Cole Hamels took them out of the Bryce Harper race the way they've approached it. I really don't because no matter what, the payroll was already going to be among the highest in the league. And the way Tom Ricketts talked about their budget, the all the things they have to pay for, the renovations, the taxes, I really don't think Cole Hamels was the difference between signing Bryce Harper, not signing Bryce Harper. But sure, it could have gotten another player or two more depth needed. But I'm going to see how it unfolds. That's basically what I'm going to do. I'm glad Cole Hamels is here, but I just hope this isn't a regretful move. Yeah, I, I and I'll go on record saying I 10 times out of 10, I have a game I need to win, and I'm picking between Cole Hamels and Wade Miley. 100 times out of 10, I'm yeah. giving Cole Hamels the ball. Yeah, it should um, be an easy I, choice. It, yeah, it, it, it's strict. My, my question was really rooted in the, man, I would really like to have $16 million to throw around. Yeah, oh, well, sure. and- just the, the fact that they did give him $20 million makes me wonder if the Cubs ever really planned on being in the, the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. Uh, it's it's starting to seem more and more like that was never really a, a heavy consideration of theirs, which, to be honest with you, I'm I'm kind of fine with that because I think you, people don't really consider that, that there has to be some sort of foresight into this too because you look at the rotation the Cubs have, a lot of these guys are getting up there in age. Three, four yep. years from now, you're not going to have that rotation anymore, and you're going to have to do something about it. And the truth is it's going to be harder to do something about it if you're paying Bryce Harper or Manny Machado $30 million a year. Right, and that's no, I totally why agree. I th- I think I've moved on. You know, I've moved on from it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. I, I It kills me. I've got guys that I work with, and for, for those who don't know, I work – for Wilson Sporting Goods, I work in their baseball marketing department. So, you know, I'd like to think we're all a pretty well-informed bunch of people, given we work in the industry. But there are guys that, to this day, tell me that I need to understand that the Cubs are still in on Bryce Harper and that it's going to happen. And I have to laugh at them every day, and I continue to laugh at them. That's how I start every workday. I walk past their desk, they whisper Bryce Harper, and I tell them, keep dreaming. But what kills me is it's those types of people that – Say the Cubs did it. They shell out $40 million a year for Bryce Harper. And then in two years have to watch Chris Bryant leave or Anthony Rizzo leave or Javier Baez leave. It's that same fan who would lambast Ricketts for wasting money and not having the, the resources to keep these guys 
on the north yeah. side. Well, and the the truth is, they don't need him. And the Phillies have been in pretty hard on Bryce Harper. They're the kind of the top rumored team right now. It seems like uh, the Phillies need him a lot more than the Cubs need him. The Cubs, on paper, I think, are still the most talented team in the National League Central. Uh, and the, so, I, yeah, I think the, the reality is the Cubs don't need him to to, to get that uh, that extra push over the cliff. In the words of Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap, um, I think they're fine as they are. And Bryce Harper was on really good teams in Washington, and they never even sniffed the World Series. So it's not like Bryce Harper is the difference between between uh, uh, being a third place team in your division and winning the World Series. It's ridiculous. Absolutely, and I'm not a I'm not a believer in in selling out. I'm sorry. I would give right now, coming off the year he came off of, I would give Chris Bryant Bryce Harper money before I'd give Bryce Harper Bryce Harper money. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's another thing to consider is you've, the Cubs have all these uh, youngish players that they're going to have to think about whether or not they can resign them or not because. Yeah, it's much harder to extend a guy like Chris Bryant if you're if you're shelling out a mega deal to Bryce Harper. I think the main thing to do here is if you move on from it, you don't think about all the different scenarios. Bryce Harper's not going to happen. If you just make peace with it, you may still be disappointed, but if you at least move on from it, you can focus on other aspects of the team. It's just getting caught up on the Bryce Harper thing at this point. It just isn't worth it because it's not going to happen. And I know that's hard for some fans. And if you're still having trouble, okay, that's not going to tell you how to fan. But, you know, personally, I'm just saying it's really just best to move on for your own sanity. Yeah, the the Cubs are what they are right now. And you know what? As a fan, I feel pretty darn good about them. Wilson Contreras was awful in the second half. Albert Elmora, awful in the second half. Chris Bryant was playing with one arm. I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Bryant is not going to do that again. If he's healthy, people forget. He was probably, I mean, he was definitely in the MVP conversation at the pace he was going before he got hurt. Oh, I mean, absolutely. He was putting up yeah. some astronomical numbers. And people are forgetting that. That's because... the frustrating thing. People forget about how good he was in that first month. He had an on-base percentage of over 400. But guys, you know, David Bodie is better than Chris Bryant. No. <laughs> people sure? need to just agree. Really? It was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it lasted. That's it, and that's you know, that. You know how you know how I know David Bodie isn't better than Chris Bryant at Cubs convention. I bought a signed David Bodie eight by ten for thirty dollars. You know how much a signed Chris Bryant eight by ten went for? Three hundred dollars. Oh. Also, oh, no. question: no, no. Did David Bodie anger Yadier Molina to the point of calling him out on Instagram? I don't think so. No one cares what. I love David Bodie, but the the walk off grand slam and all the clutch hits he came up with were amazing. They were highlights of the season, given how it ended. Oh, but he's not a franchise player. Yachty needs less sodium in his diet. <laughs> <laughs> but Yachty's only got one flavor. That's that's very true. Very true. I just it, it blows my mind. You know what? Chris Bryant, I would take Chris Bryant ten times if I'm starting a franchise today with any player, I'm probably taking Chris Bryant. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. 
Well, speaking of great Cubs, we're going to close this show on a little note about uh, today. We are recording this on January 31st. Today is Mr. Cub Ernie Banks' birthday. He would have been 88 today if he were still with us. Unfortunately, as everyone knows, he passed away in 2015. But that doesn't mean he's still not very much alive in the hearts and minds and memories of Cubs fans alike. So a little bit of a Ernie Banks appreciation segment on this show because I think we have to. It stinks that we never got to witness him play because we were all born way after his career ended, which was in 1971. But we know all the stories. We've seen a lot of the footage. We've looked at the stats. And I met him once, and he was as nice as he could be. He really was. Uh, What are your guys' favorite, like, Ernie Banks stories? I've actually got – it's not really a story. I actually just wrote something that went up once we went on the air uh, about Ernie Banks. And I was doing some research and some books that I had, and I found a quote. And it's not about baseball, but it really struck me, basically with what you said, the type of person, the type of man Ernie was. So I'll just – I'll read you the quote, and you can do with it what you want, but – He said, my theme is the spirit of friendship is the balance of life, not money, not the World Series. It's friendship. The relationships I have with people, that's enough to keep me happy. And for a guy who who literally, he spent his entire career, he didn't even taste the playoffs, let alone a World Series. He spent his entire career here, never sniffed October baseball. And for him to be as humble and gracious and just such a happy individual right through the end of his life, having never seen the Cubs in a World Series or, or win a pennant or you get to play in October baseball, it just it was a nice reminder of yesteryear. It was professional athletes now. You know, everyone's concerned about their Instagram and likes and, you know, social media. Like, this is a guy who is just happy to live his life with the people he loved, and, and you know, it's why we all love him to this day. Yeah. You know, I was – I was joking with my dad on the phone earlier about how uh, Alex and I were going to be reflecting on the career of a player who retired 20-plus years before either of us were born. But I think that says a lot about the guy that we're talking about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my favorite Banks quote is, is his classic, we've got the setting sunshine, fresh air, the team behind us, so let's play too. And I think that Ernie Banks exemplifies love of the game more than – any other player in sports history, I think. I mean, in this day and age, in this media age where we're more exposed to the business side of sports, uh, it's refreshing to to reflect on players who played just because they loved it and because they were so passionate about the sport. And, uh, yeah, like like you guys said, uh, Ernie Banks never complained. And you got to remember, he played during a time when – African-American ballplayers weren't as accepted as they are today, not not nearly to the degree that they are today. Um, it was only like five or six years uh, after the color barrier had been broken when Ernie Banks made his debut. Uh, and for him to play through those times without ever complaining, it, I think, says a lot about the guy. And Jackie Robinson, whose birthday is also today, his 100th birthday, as a matter of fact, you know, Jackie Robinson kind of, helped Ernie because, you know, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. He'd played a number of years before Ernie made his debut, and he kind of advised him, talked to him. And, you know, I heard some stories about how 
early in Ernie's career, he couldn't always sleep in the team hotels with everybody, that he had to sleep in his cars, either the bus or the car. So obviously there was still a lot of awful racism going on with African-American ballplayers, but he kept that great attitude up, and he was just just a guy that you look at and think, how can I be him? Someone that just loves life so much, no matter what is thrown yeah. at him, he showed so much joy with all the fans and playing at Wrigley Field, and he played on so many terrible teams, too, several 100-loss teams. And also, don't forget, he dealt with injuries a lot later in his career. But he still played through it, and he still kept a positive attitude. And if he didn't deal with some of those injuries, he would have had even better stats than he already ended with. He ended with 512 home runs, over 1,600 RBIs, nearly uh, 2,600 hits, a slugging percentage of 500, an OPS of 830. And he was the first ever National League player to win back-to-back MVP awards. The first ever. Yeah, there, there's his resiliency is, is there's there's something to be said for that. And, you know, maybe years down the road he won't be recognized as the best Chicago Cubs statistically. Uh, but in, in all of time, there will only ever be one Mr. Cub. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you can't replace him in Cubs love and you know just the Cubs culture. You can't replace him. No, I mean I, I, I've I've spent too much money, too much money on, on my memorabilia collection uh, in a basement that tripled the square footage from my last house to this house, and now this house is full already. But the one piece that I cherish above all else, I have a postcard that is signed by Ernie Banks. And above everything else I have, I mean, I've got a jersey that Joe Madden signs after game four of the World Series. I would still take that Ernie Banks postcard over anything for all the reasons that you guys have described. Yeah. I mean, that Ernie Banks is the only Cubs jersey I own because the my sort of unpopular opinion is I think it's weird to, to wear the jersey of somebody who's roughly my age. But – uh that's fair. My go-to is my Ron Sano jersey. So, Yeah. Well, what also is amazing about Ernie Banks, too, was he did a lot of other things in life. I mean, he was on the board of the Chicago Transit Association or the CTA, whatever that stands for, uh, for a number of years. And I remember when he got uh, the medal at the White House right before he died. It may have been a few years before he died, but I think there was – I think what happened was – is he didn't have, like, the clearance card or whatever, like, the right ID to get in, so they were trying to sort it out. And, you know, Ernie was just there with the guards telling stories, and they all loved listening to him. So he made the best of his situation and, you know, eventually got in the White House and got his medal. But, you know, it's, it's little things like that that really make you appreciate what type of guy he was. Yeah, I, I don't think any player in Cubs history will ever be – remembered as fondly as Ernie Banks, and appropriately so. No one will be as likable, I don't think. Maybe Carlos Zambrano. No, oh, oh, obviously. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, if we're talking Big Z, you got to throw Milton Bradley in there. Too, I mean, right? nobody, nobody beat the crap out of Gatorade coolers like Carlos Zambrano. Dude, I, I still – yeah, love the guy. Horror, criminally underrated amongst Cubs fans because – my goodness, that no-hitter was amazing. And, all, yeah. I mean, 
all, all told, he was a pretty solid pitcher. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was he was entertaining. you, you got to give him that. Sean Rodriguez has nothing on Carlos Zambrano. You know, if Zambrano oh, would have kind of – if Carlos Zambrano would have kind of kept a cooler head and he would have cut down on the walks, he could have had a really good career because he didn't get hit very hard. He could strike out guys when he wanted to, and you know, he got a lot of weak contact because he had a lot of sink on his pitches. But yeah, the walks got out of control at times, and you remember when one thing would go south for Zambrano, everything would just fall apart. Yeah, as much of a hothead as he was, though, it, you no one could deny he loved being a Cub, and I think that oh, yeah, for sure that that does a lot for fans. Even if you have a hard time keeping your cool and keeping a level head, uh, just loving the team you're on, I, th- I think. Uh, helps your reputation as a Cub because I think most people still look back on him fairly, fairly fondly. I mean, I I still like the guy. I bet you if you went around and asked a number of Cubs fans what you thought of Carlos Zambrano when you watched him, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember Big Z. That was great." Obviously, the ending was pretty ugly. I'm sure you guys remember it ended pretty bad with Carlos Zambrano, yeah. but mm-hmm. overall, I think people had a lot of good memories with him. Yeah, and he doesn't to this day. He doesn't seem to really have any he hold any contempt for the Cubs. I, I think they're on pretty good terms. No, he's been right back at Wrigley. Now. He's done the yeah. Spanish broadcast for them. I think he wants to be part of the organization more than ever. Yeah, and I, I hope he, I hope he can be. Kind of an interesting turn. We talked about Ernie Banks and Carlos Zambrano, but hey, Ernie Banks yeah, and Carlos Zambrano mm-hmm. both very popular figures. Their own. I, I I mean I know guys that. You know, Tony Campana is their all-time favorite Cub. I mean, to each their own. Oh, Tony Campana. He was fun to watch when he actually did get on base, which wasn't always often, but when he got on, it was, he was he, pretty he fun. Was Billy Hamilton, he, he was Billy Hamilton before Billy Hamilton. He really was. He really was. And I remember that inside-the-park home run he had against the Reds in, like, 2011. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was pretty awesome. That was that was at Wrigley, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. That was one of my nice. first, like. It was one of my first Cubs games, just because I I grew up not being able to afford to go, and at that point I was like, okay, my uncle took me, and I just remember watching him run, and you know, literally all I could think was, dear God, this kid is so fast. It it was like mind numbing. You think if he was like on a football field and you were like a you put him at punt return or kick return, he would just zoom by people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was it, – it was it was guys like Tony Campana that made the Cubs fun to watch in those those rough years. Yeah, you, you kind of treasured the little things. It's – even if they weren't that great, if, there, if they were little things that were at least fun or entertaining in any way – you would gladly take him because the team was not winning in the days of Camp in any way. Well, I would love to keep this conversation going, but we are out of time. Adam and Jake, thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a good show. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys stay warm the rest of the way. It has been pretty brutal. Until next time, he's Jake, he's Adam, I'm Alex. Have a great night.